Book One, Chapter Twelve of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. Chapter Twelve Robert's Plan of Salvation. For some time after the loss of his friend, Robert went loitering and mooning about quite neglecting the lessons to which he had not, it must be confessed, paid much attention for many weeks. Even when seated at his granny's table, he could do no more than fix his eyes on his book. To learn was impossible. It was even disgusting to him. But his was a nature which, foiled in one direction, must, absolutely helpless against its own vitality, straightway send out its searching roots in another. Of all forces, that of growth is the one irresistible, for it is the creating power of God, the law of life and of being. Therefore no accumulation of refusals and checks and turnings and forbiddings from all the good old grannies in the world could have prevented Robert from striking, root downward and bearing fruit upward, though, as in all higher natures, the fruit was a long way off yet. But his soul was only sad and hungry. He was not unhappy, for he had been guilty of nothing that weighed on his conscience. He had been doing many things of late, it is true, without asking leave of his grandmother. But wherever prayer is felt to be of no avail, there cannot be the sense of obligation, save on compulsion. Even direct disobedience, in such case, will generally leave little soreness, except the thing forbidden should be in its own nature wrong, and then, indeed, dawn-worm the conscience may begin to bite. But Robert felt nothing immoral in playing upon his grandfather's violin, nor even in taking liberties with the piece of lumber for which nobody cared but possibly the dead. Therefore he was not unhappy, only much disappointed, very empty and somewhat gloomy. There was nothing to look forward to now, no secret full of riches and endless in hope, in short, no violin. To feel the full force of his loss, my reader must remember that around the childhood of Robert, which he was fast leaving behind him, there had gathered no tenderness, none at least by him recognizable as such. All the women he came in contact with were his grandmother and Betty. He had no recollection of having ever been kissed. From the darkness and negation of such an embryo existence, his nature had been unconsciously striving to escape struggling to get from below ground into the sunlit air, sighing after a freedom he could not have defined, the freedom that comes not of independence but of love, not of lawlessness but of the perfection of law. Of this beauty of life, with its wonder and its deepness, this unknown glory his fiddle had been the type. It had been the ark that held, if not the tables of the covenant, yet the golden pot of angels' food and the rod that budded in death and now that it was gone the gloomier aspect of things began to lay hold upon him his soul turned itself away from the sun and entered into the shadow of the underworld like the white horse twins of lake regillus like phoebe the queen of skyey plain and earthly forest every boy and girl every man and woman that lives at all has to divide many a year between tartarus and olympus for now rose within him, not without ultimate good, the evil phantasms of a theology which would explain all God's doings by low conceptions. 
low i mean for humanity even of right and law and justice then only taking refuge in the fact of the incapacity of the human understanding when its own inventions are impugned as undivine in such a system hell is invariably the deepest truth and the love of god is not so deep as hell hence as foundations must be laid in the deepest the system is founded in hell and the first article in the creed that robert falconer learned was i believe in hell practically i mean it was so else how should it be that as often as a thought of religious duty arose in his mind it appeared in the form of escaping hell of fleeing from the wrath to come for his very nature was hell being not born in sin and brought forth in iniquity but born sin and brought forth iniquity and yet god made him he must believe that and he must believe too that god was just awfully just punishing with fearful pains those who did not go through a certain process of mind which it was utterly impossible they should go through without a help which he would give to some and withhold from others the reason of the difference not being such to say the least of it as to come within the reach of the person's concern and this god they said was love it was logically absurd of course yet thank god they did say that god was love and many of them succeeded in believing it too and in ordering their ways as if the first article of their creed had been i believe in god whence in truth we are bound to say it was the first in power and reality if not in order for what are we to say a man believes if not what he acts upon still the former article was the one they brought chiefly to bear upon their children this mortar probably they thought threw the shell straighter than any of the other field pieces of the church militant hence it was even in justification of god himself that a party arose to say that a man could believe without the help of god at all and after believing only began to receive god's help a heresy all but as dreary and barren as the former not one dreamed of saying at least such a glad word of prophecy never reached the rotterdam that while nobody can do without the help of the father any more than a new-born babe could of itself live and grow to a man yet that in the giving of that help the very fatherhood of the father finds its one gladsome labour that for the lord came for that the world was made for that we were born into it for that god lives and loves like the most loving man or woman on earth only infinitely more and in other ways and kinds besides which we cannot understand and that therefore to be a man is the soul of eternal jubilation robert consequently began to take fits of soul-saving a most rational exercise worldly wise and prudent right too on the principles he had received but not in the least christian in its nature or even god-fearing his imagination began to busy itself in representing the dire consequences of not entering into the one refuge of faith he made many frantic efforts to believe that he believed took to keeping the sabbath very carefully that is by going to church three times and to sunday school as well by never walking a step save to or from church by never saying a word upon any subject unconnected with religion chiefly theoretical by never reading any but religious books by never whistling by never thinking of his lost fiddle and so on all the time feeling that god was ready to pounce upon him if he failed once 
till again and again the intensity of his efforts utterly defeated their object by destroying for the time the desire to prosecute them with the power to will them but through the horrible vapours of these vain endeavours which denied god altogether as the maker of the world and the former of his soul and heart and brain and sought to worship him as a capricious demon there broke a little light a little soothing soft twilight from the dim windows of such literature as came in his way besides the pilgrim's progress there were several books which shone moonlike on his darkness and lifted something of the weight of that egyptian gloom off his spirits one of these strange to say was defoe's religious courtship and one young's night thoughts but there was another which deserves particular notice inasmuch as it did far more than merely interest or amuse him raising a deep question in his mind and one worthy to be asked this book was the translation of klopstock's messiah to which i have already referred it was not one of his grandmother's books but had probably belonged to his father he had found it in his little garret room but as often as she saw him reading it she seemed rather pleased he thought as to the book itself its florid expiation could neither offend nor injure a boy like robert while its representation of our lord was to him a wonderful relief from that given in the pulpit and in all the religious books he knew but the point for the sake of which i refer to it in particular is this amongst the rebel angels who are of the actors in the story one of the principal is a cherub who repents of making his choice with satan mourns over his apostasy haunts unseen the steps of our saviour wheels lamenting about the cross and would gladly return to his lost duties in heaven if only he might a doubt which i believe is left unsolved in the volume and naturally enough remained unsolved in robert's mind would poor abaddon be forgiven and taken home again for although naturally that is to judge by his own instincts there could be no question of his forgiveness according to what he had been taught there could be no question of his perdition having no one to talk to he divided himself and went to buffett's on the subject siding of course with the better half of himself which supported the merciful view of the matter for all his efforts at keeping the sabbath had in his own honest judgment failed so entirely that he had no ground for believing himself one of the elect had he succeeded in persuading himself that he was there is no saying to what lengths of indifference about others the chosen prig might have advanced by this time he made one attempt to open the subject with shargar shargar what think ye he said suddenly one day given a devil war to repent would god forgive him there's no saying what folk would do till aunts there tried replied shargar cautiously robert did not care to resume the question with one who so circumspectly refused to take a metaphysical or a priori view of the matter he made an attempt with his grandmother one sunday his thoughts after trying for a time to revolve in due orbit around the mind of rev hugh mcclary as projected in a sermon which he had botched up out of a commentary failed at last and flew off into what said gentleman would have pronounced very dangerous speculation seeing no man is to go beyond what is written in the bible which contains not only the truth but the whole truth and nothing but the truth 
for this time and for all future time, both here and in the world to come. Some such sentence, at least, was in his sermon that day, and the preacher no doubt supposed St. Matthew, not St. Matthew Henry, accountable for its origination. In the limbo into which Robert's spirit then flew, it had been sorely exercised about the substitution of the sufferings of Christ for those which humanity must else have endured while ages rolled on, mere ripples on the ocean of eternity. "'Noo, be quiet,' said Mrs. Falconer solemnly, as Robert, a trifle lighter at heart from the result of his cogitations than usual, sat down to dinner. He had happened to smile across the table to Shargar, and he was quiet, and smiled no more. They ate their broth, or, more properly, supped it, with horn-spoons, in absolute silence, after which Mrs. Falconer put a large piece of meat on the plate of each, with the same formula, Have, ye's get nae more. The allowance was ample in the extreme, bearing a relation to her words similar to that which her practice bore to her theology. A piece of cheese, because it was the Sabbath, followed, and dinner was over. When the table had been cleared by Betty, they drew their chairs to the fire, and Robert had to read to his grandmother while Shargar sat listening. He had not read long, however, before he looked up from his Bible and began the following conversation. Was not it an ill trick of Joseph, grandmother, to put that cup and a cellar on two into the mouth of Benjamin's sack? What for that, laddie? He wanted to gar them come back again, ye ken. But he need not have kin aboot it in such a play-actor-like gait. He need not have letten them away without telling them that he was their brother. They had behaved very ill till him. He used to tell tales upon them, though. Laddie, take ye care what ye say about Joseph, for he was a type of Christ. Who was that, grandmother? They sell it him to the Ishmaelites for silver, as Judas did him. Did he bear the sins of them at selt him? Ye may say, in a manner, at he did, for he was sore afflicted afore he wound up to be the king's right hand, and sign he keepeth a hantle of ill off of his brethren. Say, grandmother, other folk nor Christ might suffer for the sins of their neighbors. Ay, laddie, many a one has to do that. But no to make atonement, ye can. Nothing but the suffering of the spotless could do that. The Lord would not be satisfied with less nor that. It mount be the innocent to suffer for the guilty. I understand that, said Robert, who had heard it so often that he had not yet thought of trying to understand it. But given we gone to the good place, we'll be all innocent, will not we, Granny? Ay, that we will. Wash spotless and pure, and clean and dressed in the weeding garment, and set doing at the table with him and with his father. That's them that believes in him, ye can. Of course, Granny. Well, you see, I have been thinking of a plan for almost emptying hell. What's in the baron's head, Newell? Trouth, you're no blate in meddling with such subjects, laddie. I did not want to say anything to vex you, Granny. I was go on with the chapter. I'll say away. Ye cannot say muckle at's wrong afore I cry hold, said Mrs. Falconer, curious to know what had been moving in the boy's mind, but watching him like a cat, 
ready to spring upon the first visible hair of the old Adam. And Robert, recalling the outbreak of terrible grief which he had heard on that memorable night, really thought that his project would bring comfort to a mind burdened with such care, and went on with the exposition of his plan. All them at sits doon to the supper of the Lamb will sit there, because Christ suffered the punishment due to their sins, will not they, Granny? Doubtless, laddie. But it'll be some sore upon them to sit there often and drinkin' and talkin' away and enjoyin' themselves when ilka new and then there'll be some a soft o wailin' up from the ill place and a smell of burnin' ill to bide. We'll put that in your head, laddie. There's no reason to think at hell's so near heaven as all that. The Lord forbid it. Well, but, Granny, they'll know all the same whether they smell it or new. And I cannot help thinking that the farther away I thought they were, the were I would like to think upon them. Deed it would be war. What are ye driving at, laddie? I cannot understand ye, said Mrs. Falconer, feeling very uncomfortable, and yet curious, almost anxious to hear what would come next. I trust we will not have to think muckle. But here I presume the thought of the added desolation of her Andrew, if she too were to forget him, as well as his father in heaven, checked the flow of her words. She paused, and Robert took up his parable and went on, first with yet another question. Dove ye think, Granny, that a body would be allude to spake a word in public, like there, at the long table, like I mean? Well, for no, if it was done with modesty, and for good reason. But, Raleigh, laddie, I doot your haverin' altogether. You heard nothing like that, I'm sure, the day from Mr. McCleary. Nay, nay, he said nothing about it. But maybe I'll go on and spare at him, though. What aboot? What I'm going to tell you, Granny. Well, tell away and have done with it. I'm growing tired of it. It was something else than tired she was growing. Well, I was going to try all that I can to win in there. I hope you will. Strive and pray. Resist the devil. Walk in the lake. Lippin' not to yourself, but trust in Christ and his salvation. Ay, ay, Granny. Well, are ye no done yet? Nay, I'm but just beginning. Beginning, are ye? Humph. Well, if I win in there the very first night I sit down with the love of them, I'm going to rise up and say, that is, if the masty at the head of the table does not bid me sit down, and say, Brothers and sisters, the whole of ye hearken to me for a minute, and, O oh Lord, if I say wrong, just take the speech from me, and I'll sit doing dumb and rebuke it. We're here by grace, and no by merit, save his, as ye all can better nor I can tell ye, for ye have been longer here nor me. But it's just ruggin' and riven at my heart to think of them at's doing there. Maybe ye can hear them. I cannot. No, we have no merit, and they have no merit, and what for are we here and them there? But we're washed clean and innocent new, and new when there's no white line upon ourselves, it seems to me that we might bear some of the sins of them at have or many. I call upon ilk one of ye, at has a friend or a neighbor down yonder, to rise up and taste, nor bite, nor sup more, till we go on up altogether to the foot of the throne, and pray the Lord to let's go on and do as the Master did afore us, and bear their griefs, and carry their sorrows doing in hell there, 
if it may be that they may repent and get remission of their sins and come up here with us at the long last and sit doon with us at the table and throw the merits of our saviour jesus christ at the head of the table there amen half ashamed of his long speech half overcome by the feelings fighting within him and altogether bewildered robert burst out crying like a baby and ran out of the room up to his own place of meditation where he threw himself on the floor shargar who had made neither head nor tail of it all as he said afterward sat staring at mrs falconer she rose and going into robert's little bedroom closed the door and what she did there is not far to seek when she came out she rang the bell for tea and sent shargar to look for robert when he appeared she was so gentle to him that it woke quite a new sensation in him but after tea was over she said no robert let's have nae more of this ye kens as well as i do that them at gaun's there their doom is fixed and nothing can alter it and we're not to allow our own fancies to carry us ayont the scripture we have our own salvation to work oot with fear and trembling we have nothing to do with what's hidden look ye till it at ye win in yourself that's enough for you to mind shargar ye can go on to the kirk robert's to bide with me the night mrs falconer very rarely went to church for she could not hear a word and found it irksome when robert and she were alone together laddie she said be ye war of judging the almighty what looks to you all wrong may be all right but it's true enough at we do not ken a thing and he's no dead yet i do not believe it he is and he'll maybe win in yet here her voice failed her and robert had nothing to say now he had said all his say before pray robert pray for your father laddie she resumed for we have muckle reason to be anxious about him pray while there is life and hope give the lord no rest pray till him day and night as i do that he would lead him to see the error of his ways and turn to the lord who was ready to pardon if your mother had lived i would have had more hope i confess for she was a braw lady and a bonny and that sweet-tongued she could have wild a mawkin from its lair with her bonny highland speech i never like it to hear none of them spake the irish that is gaelic it was i so gloggy and baneless and i could not understand a word of it nay more could your father hoot your grandfather i mean though his father could spake it well but to hear your mother mamma as ye used to all call her i after the new fashion to hear her spake english that was sweet to the ear for the broad scot she kent as little of as i do of the gaelic it was heart's care about him that shortened her days and all that'll be laid upon him he'll have it to bear and account for och hon och hon ha robert my man be a good lad and serve the lord with all your heart and soul and strength and mind for giving you gone wrong your own father'll have to bear nobody kens who muckle of the white of it for he's done nothing to bring ye up in the way ye should go on and hold ye out of the ill gate for the sake of your poor father hold ye to the right road it may spare him a pang or two in the ill place and given the lord would only take me and let him go on involuntarily and unconsciously the mother's love was adopting the hope which she had denounced in her grandson 
and robert saw it but he was never the man when i knew him to push a victory he said nothing only a tear or two at the memory of the way-worn man his recollection of whose visit i have already recorded rolled down his cheeks he was at such a distance from him such an impassable gulf yawned between them that was the grief not the gulf of death nor the gulf that divides hell from heaven but the gulf of abjuration by the good because of his evil ways his grandmother herself weeping fast and silently with scarce altered countenance took her neatly folded handkerchief from her pocket and wiped her grandson's fresh cheeks then wiped her own withered face and from that moment robert knew that he loved her then followed the sabbath evening prayer that she always offered with the boy whichever he was who kept her company they knelt down together side by side in a certain corner of the room the same i doubt not in which she knelt at her private devotions before going to bed there she uttered a long extempore prayer rapid in speech full of divinity and scripture phrases but not the less earnest and simple for it flowed from a heart of faith then robert had to pray after her loud in her ear that she might hear him thoroughly so that he often felt as if he were praying to her and not to god at all she had begun to teach him to pray so early that the custom reached beyond the confines of his memory at first he had to repeat the words after her but soon she made him construct his own utterances now and then giving him a suggestion in the form of a petition when he seemed likely to break down or putting a phrase into what she considered more suitable language but all such assistance she had given up long ago on the present occasion she had ended her petitions with those for jews and pagans and especially for the pope of rome in whom with a rare liberality she took the kindest interest she turned to robert with the usual new robert and robert began but after he had gone on for some time with the ordinary phrases he turned all at once into a new track and instead of praying in general terms for those that would not walk in the right way said o oh lord save my father and there paused if it be thy will suggested his grandmother but robert continued silent his grandmother repeated the subjunctive clause i'm trying grandmother said robert but i cannot say it i dare not say an if about it it would be like glean in till his damnation we mount have him saved granny laddie laddie hold your tongue said mrs falconer in a tone of distressed awe oh lord forgive him he's young and does not know better yet he cannot understand thy ways nor for that matter can i pretend to understand them myself but thou art a light and in thee is no darkness at all and thy light comes into our blind eyne and makes them blinder yet but oh lord if it would please thee to hear our prayer eh, who he we would praise thee and my andrew would praise thee more nor ninety and nine of them at need nay repentance a long pause followed and then the only words that would come were for christ's sake amen when she said that god was light instead of concluding therefrom that he could not do the deeds of darkness she was driven from a faith in the teaching of jonathan edwards as implicit as that of any lay papist of loretto to doubt whether the deeds of darkness were not after all deeds of light or at least to conclude that their character depended not on their own nature but on who did them they rose from their knees and mrs falconer sat down by her fire 
with her feet on her little wooden stool, and began, as was her wont in that household twilight, ere the lamp was lighted, to review her past life, and follow her lost son through all conditions and circumstances to her imaginable. And when the world to come arose before her, clad in all the glories which her fancy, chilled by education and years, could supply, it was but to vanish in the gloom of the remembrance of him with whom she dared not hope to share its blessedness. This at least was how Falconer afterwards interpreted the sudden changes from gladness to gloom which he saw at such times on her countenance. But while such a small portion of the universe of thought was enlightened by the glow-worm lamp of the theories she had been taught, she was not limited for light to that fuel source. While she walked on her way, the moon, unseen herself behind the clouds, was illuminating the whole landscape so gently and evenly that the glow-worm being the only visible point of radiance, to it she attributed all the light. But she felt bound to go on believing as she had been taught. For some time the most original mind has the strongest sense of law upon it, and will, in default of a better, obey a beggarly one, only till the higher law that swallows it up manifests itself. Obedience was as essential an element of her creed as of that of any purest-minded monk, neither being sufficiently impressed with this, that, while obedience is the law of the kingdom, it is of considerable importance that that which is obeyed should be in very truth the will of God. It is one thing, and a good thing, to do for God's sake that which is not his will. It is another thing, and altogether a better thing, how much better no words can tell, to do for God's sake that which is his will. Mrs. Falconer's submission and obedience led her to accept as the will of God, lest she should be guilty of opposition to him, that which it was anything but giving him honor to accept as such. Therefore her love to God was too like the love of the slave or the dog, too little like the love of the child, with whose obedience the father cannot be satisfied until he cares for his reason as the highest form of his will. True, the child who most faithfully desires to know the inward will or reason of the father will be the most ready to obey without it. Only for this obedience it is essential that the apparent command at least be such as he can suppose attributable to the father. Of his own self he is bound to judge what is right, as the Lord said. Had Abraham doubted whether it was in any case right to slay his son, he would have been justified in doubting whether God really required it of him and would have been bound to delay action until the arrival of more light. True, the will of God can never be other than good, but I doubt if any man can ever be sure that a thing is the will of God, save by seeing into its nature and character and beholding its goodness. Whatever God does must be right, but are we sure that we know what he does? That which men say he does may be very wrong indeed. This burden she in her turn laid upon Robert, not unkindly, but as needful for his training towards well-being. Her way with him was shaped after that which she recognized as God's way with her. Spare nay questions, but go on, do as you tell it. And it was anything but a bad lesson for the boy. It was one of the best he could have had, that of authority. It is a grand thing to obey without asking questions, so long as there is nothing evil in what is commanded. Only Granny concealed her reasons without reason and God makes no secrets. Hence she seemed more stern and less sympathetic than she really was. She sat with her feet on the little wooden stool, 
and Robert sat beside her, staring into the fire, till they heard the outer door open and Shargar and Betty come in from church. End chapter 12